evening. Time for another podcast or our first podcast of bikes, burpees, and backhands. This is your host, Dave Matthews, uh, CEO of Bike Friendly Atlanta, 11-time national tennis champion. I run pickleball league at the YMCA in Atlanta. Here to talk to you about some of the trending topics and uh, thought-provoking subjects. Uh, first and foremost on our list, uh, we're going to go right into, uh, let's see here, a little cycling. And from there, uh, first question I had from one of my listeners was, how in the world did I get into building ghost bikes? Um, January 31st. 2011, about 1, uh, 1.20 in the afternoon, I was uh, checking on a, some tennis courts to see if they were teachable, playable, and uh, was going to call my clients back, let them know that, uh, that everything was okay. Uh, checked the courts, they were fine, started heading my way back to the house, about a seven mile ride, and about seven miles back, uh, about two miles back into that ride, uh, a gentleman, 86 year old man, uh, decided that he wanted to cut down a street that I was nearly through the intersection of, and therein lied a head on collision with a car, went up, deflected off the windshield, left one of my teeth up there on his windshield. Four and a half hours later, many stitches to my upper lip was split uh, in half. My lower chin was, uh, took about nine stitches, had about three root canals, crown. Uh, one day I'll have to probably have implants, but at the same time, um, Came home, you know, recovered about a week, 10 days later, you know, two, three days after the uh, crash, not an accident, a crash, uh, insurance co company called me. Luckily for me, my doubles partner was my uh, attorney who I'd never needed. And my recommendation is if you can get by without an attorney, go through life and do it. That's the best way to do it. But if it happens to fall on your lap, get you somebody that you trust and know and serve it up cold and hard. Uh, anyway, uh, a year, a little over a year later, 15 months later, uh, just returned from a bike ride here in the East Atlanta area. Got back to the house. We have an email list that we use for the 6 a.m. at the Arches uh, bike ride. And we got back and I got an email, which is not normal. We normally email the night before to set up the ride, who's going to show up, know who to expect, things like that. And from there, somebody, uh, my group moderator, who happened to be on the ride that morning, it's not always, uh, he's not always there, but he sent out an email, said he had heard there was a fatality somewhere in Decatur area, making sure we all got back to our uh, families and houses safe, and we all had, there was about nine or ten of us on the ride that morning, I believe, uh, so we all replied back, and everything was good, but then he came back about 15 minutes later and said, 
we need to think about getting this gentleman a ghost bike. And immediately, the bike frame that I had on my wall, I used, started stripping it down and painting it white, uh, taking off all usable parts. Uh, don't want to leave that into the minds of a thief to steal white parts off of a ghost bike who on, that honors a fallen or killed cyclist. I sat on the first track realizing that here's a family, didn't know the gentleman, didn't really matter to me, but here's a person that possibly could be a husband, uh, could have kids, I didn't know at the time, and that to me was a daunting um, side of reality that somebody left their house just like I had 15 months before, thinking everything is all safe and people are gonna do things properly out there on the road, and they don't. Gentleman tried to squeeze down a road that I was almost through the intersection of, small side road to my right. He came across, made a left turn, and there I was in the face of that windshield. Anyway, a year later, Mr. Paul Taylor was taken from us. I decided to build his ghost bike, and it really hit me that there's now a family that at the start of a day thought everything was going to be fine. Everything would fitness and go out and do a bike ride, come back in, and everything would be fine. And everybody on the roads are safe and paying attention, and they're not. We have some ride drivers that are too old to drive, and I had to go down that road with my father. Uh, when they get too old to drive and they are unsafe, first and foremost, for everybody else that's around them, they need to be off the road. You need to take it into your hands before they kill somebody else who has a life to live and get them off the road. Two, for their safety. Uh, yes, that is a huge setback that is the freedom that at 16 or so years old we all um ego yeah a little ego but we all want to get that car and go and it's freedom and power at our foot i get it i do but it needs to be done responsibly anything irresponsible needs to be severely penalized uh, I see too many people out there doing two, three, four DUIs and don't get it. You're a bad habit. You need to be done with, over with, walk, bike, scooter, something else, because you can't, you can't responsibly handle a car. That's how I got into doing ghost bikes. And now 65 later, uh, I am on a mission to change the way we drive, the way we use bicycles, the way we use scooters. Now, the electric scooters, the e-bikes, and walking. We need to do everything responsibly. You come up to a red lighted intersection with a crosswalk, you need to hit the button, and we need to make sure those buttons are working, and working properly and efficiently. Nobody, not a pedestrian, not a car, not a cyclist, not a anything should have to wait at a red light when there's no traffic coming from the other direction that red light should be changing yeah you know 
five seconds, 10 seconds later, this 30 and 40 second with a 1904 traffic signal on a timer has got to go. I don't care what the cities and the states and the county's excuses are, let's get traffic moving. When there's no traffic coming the other way, if there is traffic one way, change the red light, let's get them down the road. Rush hour traffic, whole nother ball game. It goes, like in a major metropolitan area like Atlanta, it goes into the city faster in the morning, not faster, but more red lights are headed into town to get the traffic into town, and then in the afternoon it comes out. During that rush hour, that is the main focus. Put cars on those roads need to get to the highways and get out, disperse out of the city or into the city. So that kind of gives you an idea about my background with ghost bikes. Uh, first and foremost, they and I, uh, I have somebody, I don't have somebody, I know somebody in California that does a lot of the same things that I do on a bigger scale because they are taking people's lives. A lot of people out in California, Southern Cal area, use a bicycle for their mode of transportation to get to and from work. And people out there just hit cyclists all the time and all they're trying to do is get to work and just leave them. And to me, that should be, you know, 15 minimum year sentence in a prison, no, no parole, no nothing. You're done. You leave somebody on the side of the road that could possibly have lived to die because they get no attention because you left them. I don't care if you're drunk or what, 15 years in a jail. End of story don't like what I'm saying, please turn me off and go somewhere else where it's a little more appealing to you. I've seen too many people, too many families, 65 of them, that have lost somebody. And you know what their sentence is, my friends? They have a life sentence without their loved one. If that doesn't hit you and make you think that we can do better you know, we do good to get somebody. We, we're doing good right now to have a traffic officer call a crash, a crash, and not call it an accident to start with. An accident is something that could not have been avoided, just a freak nature, two events timed simultaneously or coincidentally, they cross each other's paths and we couldn't have avoided it. Most of these crashes that I see and build ghost bikes for 80%, 85 of them could be prevented by just being a responsible bicyclist, responsible driver, responsible automobile user. I have a lot of my friends, fallen friends from around the Southeast that have lost loved ones because of texting and driving and the other parties in the car. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, hands-free law. If you got a politician that is rebutting the hands-free law in your state, you need to vote him to the garbage, the garbage detail at the local city. And that might be a step up from where they should be in my book. So anyway, um, what goes into placing a ghost bike? Uh, people think you just take them out and throw them out there. Not the case. I found that out. Um, City of Decatur has been very good to Bike Friendly Atlanta and Paul Taylor. Uh, I did notice the other day that Paul Taylor's original ghost bike is gone again. Um, but the placing of a ghost bike is a meticulous thing. Uh, you don't want to put it on a state highway, a state ro route, uh, U.S. 
141 or US 20 or whatever, or obviously not an interstate or a major US interstate like 285 around Atlanta or 85 or 20 and 75. But there are other highways, uh, like 29 is Lawrenceville Highway here on the east side and goes all the way through, which is Bankhead Highway on the west side of town. You can't put one on those roads. So what I do is if I have a cyclist that goes down and is on a state route, state highway, I will put it on an adjacent road, maybe 50 yards up the road, so it's not on the highway. It's at least visible. We still get to remember our fallen friend, never forget them, and I work in their honor every day so that these bikes can stay up as a remembrance and, and to let people know that we can slow down and we can do better. Losing people's lives is not acceptable in any shape, form, or fashion. So much more goes into placing uh, most of the time. A couple of ghost bikes I've done uh, out in the rural Georgia area. I'll go and ask the landowner where nearest to the crash site and just ask them, you mind if I put this on your fence line out there on the front of your property? Most of them. If you explain to them what's going on, most of them have no problem with it. Um, and that is where it stays. Then nobody can touch it. Nobody can take it. It's not an unsightly thing, um, even though, you know, people, some people don't like them. Some people that we had one case here in the uh, uh, Avondale Estates area where uh, you know, like a couple of other places, I think there's a you know little bit of a uh, you know buddy buddy system going on there, and um, you know cyclists just bear the wrong you know bearing on that one, and I don't think I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna keep doing my stuff to see if I can put something somewhere for this gentleman, but uh, that's just the way it goes. Um, I, I have to be careful where I put them. I don't want them to go be taken down but they they do get taken down occasionally and all I tell my families is that if they get taken down and you want another one put up I'm more than willing to, to give it another try and we'll see if we can work with authorities in that area or work with a landowner to get it to stay up um, the latest two ghost bikes like I said before Paul Taylor's one here in Decatur the other one is Miss Lenny Krasuski up in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, her bike had been out there for a little over a year, I think. Oh, it's more than that. It's been about three or four years, maybe five or six years. Um, and, you know, over the course of time, uh, things evolved, and all of a sudden, her bike became missing uh, by a gentleman that bought the property. Uh, he stated that the bike was unsightly, and a lot of people have stepped up. Bicycling Magazine, uh, if you go on my fan page, Bike Friendly ATL, Inc. on Facebook, you can see a post on there, scroll down a little bit, where Bicycling Magazine did a article on who can remove ghost bikes and so on and so forth. And well, you know, really anybody can remove them. I try to, when I think there's a chance somebody may just maliciously come up and do it, I can buy some pretty big thick chain that has a pretty big, you know, lock on it to where it makes it tougher for them to get off or, you know, to take it away. But there's nothing they can steal that's going to help them. You can't ride the bike. I mean, for you to refurbish a ghost bike that I built, 
you spend you you do better off going down to your local bike shop and asking them for a deal and getting you a bike. You'd probably save a couple thousand dollars. So anyway, uh, those two bikes have been gone. Uh, I'm going to resolve the one here in the Decatur area. Uh, my buddy Daniel Pritchett up there in Richmond area and a, a bunch of local cyclists up there are working to try to uh, rectify that situation up there. Um, I pray for them every day. I tell them every day on posts and stuff, anything I can do, Bike Friendly can do to help. Uh, I don't like using, um, you know, media numbers. Uh, we have about 63 or 400 on Bike Friendly ATL on Facebook and you know, many thousands on Instagram. Um, I don't like using those numbers to sway people. I, I would like to make logical sense to them that if it were your loved one, you would you would think differently. And we need to get people to think not about, well, it ain't going to happen to me because I was that way up until about 52 years old. And then I did, it did happen to me. And then it continues to happen around our country, as beautiful and as great as our country is. We have a lot of faults, and we do. We're ironing a lot of them out uh, from the top of the government in the United States. Been doing this for 30, 40 years. Everybody been in that office, big high-ranking office up there. Ain't no, ain't no saint up there, none. Everybody who's been in that presidential seat and all the way down, if you ain't doing something wrong, um, you know, you probably, I also know you can't please everybody all the time. Those of you who think there's always a common ground, there is, but you, you have to be willing to give up some too. And so that's where negotiations and, you know, plea deals and things, that's where they come into play. You try to appease as many as you can with some, you know, other, um, bonuses in there. But uh, the one up in Richmond, Virginia is a very, um, they're all important, all ghost bikes, all 65 ghost bikes I've built. I have shirts that have every one of them's name on the back, the Fallen Riders. I am constantly in contact with family members, uh, people that keep me on the straight and narrow. Uh, I have a board of about 15 people and about 13 of them are Fallen Riders uh, spouses or loved ones. And I try to get them to give me some input. I don't push them. They're going through, excuse my language, enough hell already. I honor that. I respect that. I will not push that envelope. One day I hope that I can get one or two or several or a round table of them and get the media, WSB TV or Fox 5 or Channel 11 or 46 or somebody and listen to these people. They have something that is just earth-shaking. It will, if it doesn't bring you to your knees as to what they feel, then you're a calloused individual. You have no, no compassion. I, and I, I say that confidently because I know a lot of them and I speak of them with them and to them a lot. Um, so that's, that's where our ghost bikes are. Uh, we're trying to rectify those two missing ghost bikes. Um, and now I'm going to do a little intro into uh, my tennis segment.
little serve there. Going to try and get that uh, intro to tennis there with a few more tennis balls being hit, at least a little louder anyway. I could probably turn up the volume on that, but that wouldn't be it. That's not what I'm going to do. But that'll be changed. A lot of this podcast will be honed in and shined up a little bit, buffed up, uh, get a little better at doing it myself. Um, going to go into the tennis end here. Going to look at the uh, Aussie Open, who is rolling along uh, quickly. I mean, today looks like, or tonight, because you know the the 7 o'clock matches tonight are actually 11 a.m. tomorrow morning. We have, uh, let's see, match schedule. That is for tomorrow. Yep. We already have the women's match uh, from 11 o'clock tomorrow already finished. Looks like Kvitova's already beaten her opponent, so she'll move on. I'll look at the draws here in a second. Coming up next on that, on the schedule tonight, on Rod Laver Arena, Arena is... Barty plays Sharapova, then Burdich plays Nadal, and then Sitsipas, which is a night session, will be coming on about 3 o'clock in the morning, tomorrow morning here. Sitsipas will play Federer, followed by Sloan Stevens is playing Polyanchikova. Uh, that is the schedule on Rod Laver Arena. Most of the other courts, looks like you got got um, women's singles. Collins will play Kerber. That's it. Uh, 3 o'clock uh, tomorrow morning also, and that'll be followed by Marin Cilic and Bautista Agut. Uh, those bunch of, bunch of good matches. Um, here's another one. Francis Tiafo will play Dimitrioff. That'll be another good match. That's on the schedule for tonight, uh, which is actually going on right now through about 7 o'clock or so tomorrow morning. Um, Let's look at the draws. Let's see who's left in here. We're going to go to men's singles. You got Djokovic is going to play Medvedev. Karino Busta plays Nishikori. This is the top two brackets. Uh, the winner of those two will play each other. Then Zverev, uh, that's Sasha Zverev, plays Rionic. And Koric plays uh, Lucas Pioli. Uh, that's the top half. Then the bottom half. You got uh, the winner of, looks like Chilich and Agut play tonight. This is all the matches I just went over. Sissipas, Federer, Tiafo, Dimitrioff, and Burdich Nadal play tonight. The other ones will be tomorrow night. Uh, in the women's field, some good matches there, folks. So I would, uh, I do what I do, get a little less sleep and things like that. You got, uh, not tonight, but tomorrow, Halep. Uh, we'll play Serena Williams in the top bracket. Next will be Muguruza versus Pliskova. Uh, winner of those two matches playing each other is going to be a knockdown dragout. Then you got Miss Osaka versus Sevastova and Madison Keys versus Svitolina. Uh, then you got Kvitova, who just won. The next match goes on tonight. These other ones are tonight Barty, Sharapova, Stevens, Polichikova. Collins and Kerber all tonight. So a lot of good matches left. I uh, hope you tune in to Australian Open, one of the four grand slams this time of year. Uh, Nadal is looking very strong in the men's. Serena was bopping the ball pretty darn good the other night. 
Halep was doing a little more aggressive play. So that actually, uh, you know, in my mind, I've seen a lot of the other women play. They're very good. But I think those two in that round of, I guess that's the quarterfinals that I say, round of 16 or quarters, uh, that's going to be, uh, I'd watch that match when it comes up. That'd be fourth round, which is kind of scary because you still got three more rounds to go. Um, so, you know, you're coming out of that top two brackets. You're going to have either Halep, Serena, Muguruza, or Pliskova. Well, there's three, uh, the top three names I just said. They've won, you know, probably a boatload of the last Grand Slams. Uh, you know, four, five, six, you know, Serena's got a bunch of them, and then Halep got one, and Muguruza's got a couple. So, whole lot of... Uh, whole lot of uh, firepower there in those top two brackets, but a lot of other good players down there. Uh, Kerber's won a Grand Slam. Sharapova's obviously won one a couple. Um, Madison Keys uh, and also Sloan Stevens. So there's a lot of good firepower left in there. The men, it's just men's field is so deep. If you ain't ready to shoot your double barrel shotgun the first round, you'd be taking that sucker empty loaded back home. Um, you know, men's field is deep, 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 deep is the understatement of the, of the decade. Uh, one little question I had from um, a young lady was, what is, do I think it takes to get a college scholarship? Well, first and foremost, college scholarships come in many forms and fashions this day and time. Um, used to, you would, back in my day, which was, you know, back before Moby Dick was a mentor, you could... You could, you know, most of the players, because, you, you know, back then there were six singles and you played six singles, three doubles and boys and girls and men's and women's. And now uh, with Title IX coming in, which is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Um, it it uh, limits the guys to four and a half scholarships per six. So if you're not a blue chip player, like top one or two, Good chance you're going to need some, like here in Georgia, you could use the Hope Scholarship, you could use some, some grants, some, uh, you know, some other alternative scholarship money from your high school. They have a lot of scholarships you can apply for. Um, that's the kind of thing that you need to keep in in your hat, you know, as you go negotiating with colleges and where you want to go. Look and see what you, as you get into high school, what do you want to study? If you don't know, then your first two years are, you know, basically doing uh, just ground ground building courses anyway. They're not a lot of your core courses, um, but you need to, uh, you know, in my mind, girls probably need to be, I would think, top 20 in your state, especially here in Georgia. Uh, Georgia's a pretty strong state. Um you know, Florida's strong, California's strong, a lot of your southern states are strong, Arizona's got some strong players too, because uh, you can train, you know, pretty much year-round, uh, but, you know, you need to be getting out of the state playing regional tournaments like the Bullfrogs, we call it here in the south, that's what it used to be called, where they play uh, a southern level one or two tournament. Uh, southern tournaments are always at the end of June after the state qualifiers, uh, you need to be advancing, you know, fairly deep into those draws of the, of especially the region, which is the southern region, uh, to to be able to, you know, have colleges contact you. If you're contacting colleges, good chance 
uh, women's field a little bit, I won't say easier, but a l- little more money available. Uh, men's field, you you need to be really advancing way out there in the Southern Region Tournament. Um, if you're not playing some level two nationals and et cetera, uh, it's going to be tough. A lot of European players coming in from players from around the world trying to get college, get into college and advance their not only their game, but also advance their education. Um, can't fault anybody for doing that. It's been going on since the late, the, the mid, early to mid 70s. I was out the National Junior College round of 16 and I was the only American player on, on the court out of 16 players. So don't bark to me at how all of a sudden in the 2010 it started to be in this way. No, no. <laughs> if we are going to fix it, we should have been working at this long time ago. And I, fixing, I, you know, you're trying to tell somebody who can't recruit this kind of player or a player from here because they're not from here. Well, if that's what you want to do, you can do it. But you, it's got to be across the board and there's got to be a way to, to prove eligibility for scholarship or not. So, I don't really have a problem either way. I think if you want a scholarship, you need to put in the work. You need to get good enough to where somebody comes knocking on your door to play in a tournament where no matter where they're from, winning and losing is at stake. If you win, you get the, you get the nod. If you don't, there's a, there's a chance somebody else is going to get the nod. So that's my bid on the uh, high school uh, scholarships for college, uh, a lot of players, a lot of, a lot of smaller schools, NAI schools, things like that. They're giving out a lot of scholarships, quote scholarships of, that are worth like, you know, $5,000 a year. And that sounds like a lot when your college costs 20, 20,000 and they give you five, don't let it go to your head. You know, make sure you understand that you still got 15 somewhere to come from, or you're, Banking, you know, just because you're getting a little bit of money don't mean your own scholarship. That means you're getting some help, but you're also funding yourself. And that's, to me, it's a whole nother term. Um, but that's, that's for you to decide what your ego, not mine. Um, high, school, high school tennis. It's that time of year, folks. If you've got uh, high school, uh, a lot of high school teams around, a lot of players playing high school, enjoying it, playing it. Uh, I tell every one of my players that I've been coaching for the last 30 years, do what's best for you. If not coming to my practice is better for you as an individual, then you should do it. If you not going to a high school practice is better for you and you coming to mine or somebody else's practice is better for you, then you need to try to work that out with your high school coach. If they won't budge an inch, then ask them, are they doing what's best for you? Because in reality, your high school season lasts a whopping maybe two months. And you're spending, if you're a player entertaining the thought of any college playing, you're banking 10 more months out of the year to get your game going or to rebuild it if you lose it during high school season. A lot of high schools, uh, I see them trying to put all this fitness in for the first three weeks or so before the season really starts playing. And then all of a sudden when the season starts, the high school coaches are so strapped to be at matches for not only the high school, but JV boys and girls are both that all of a sudden the fitness goes down the tube. All they wind up doing is playing and attending matches and that's okay. I get it. You don't have all the resources to keep that going, but your players are suffering. 
So you have to do, I would suggest you do what you can do to help your players stay sharp, stay better. If that is while you're going to a JV match as a high school coach and your varsity players have the day off, the quote day off, they ought not be coming and watching everybody else. They should be attending a practice somewhere, get to keep their game sharp, get some fitness in. And that's just my two cents on it. I mean, I don't know much. I just got a few national titles and a world title and things like that. So I don't hold that over anybody. Don't make me better than anybody. I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee. It cost me 32 cents to make downstairs. And guess what? Pretty good cup of coffee. So anyway, on to the high school, keeping up with the high school theme, your tryouts, you know, all the player it, it, it never has stopped. All a player really wants is that if I'm going to try out for a high school team, I want to know that I'm going to get a fair shake. If I beat, if Billy beats Bobby and Bobby beats Bubba and Billy beats Bubba, sounds to me like Billy's number one Bobby's number two, unless Bubba beats Bobby, then Bubba's number two. And if you want to go, you know, if your season's two months long, if you said you can only challenge once every two weeks, once the season starts, after the challenge phase is over in the preseason, then every two weeks somebody want to challenge somebody, you can set up any guidelines you want as long as it's out front. So everybody can see it, read it, and adhere to it. Everything will be fine. Everything's up front. Everything, everybody's in a position they know they should be in. If you are just putting players somewhere because they take lessons here or here or here, but there's no rhyme or reason in somebody beating somebody, somebody may look a lot better than somebody else. I, you know, I've had seen lanky kids before that look like they can barely walk over that white line without tripping. And then all of a sudden, they hack this serve in and chip, chip, chip. And all of a sudden, you know, Pam Shriver's case number one. Back in the day, nobody had choppy strokes like Pam Shriver, but Pam Shriver made some money, made a good living out there hacking that ball around effectively. So it, there's, there's no rhyme or reason of what somebody looks like. Do they perform? Can they handle the pressure? If the answer is no, guess what? They can't perform, and that's an easy one to figure out. Um, so all kids and players are really asking is a fair shake. If I beat somebody, I should be above them. If I lose somebody else, I'm probably going to be somewhere above that other person, but below that other person, the second person, and so on and so forth. If you don't do it that way, then understand why players don't want to play for you. They don't try as hard. They don't give you what you think you should be getting because you ain't giving it to them first. So respect is a mutual thing. It's earned. It, nobody has it to walk out on the court. I'm a coach. Guess what? I earn your respect, and what I tell you works. You will figure that out over time. Uh, that also included in there why challenge matches. Um, on to the, uh, let's go to the burpees section, which is the fitness section of our podcast. Uh, one of the biggest questions I have all the time is about recovery. 
You know, you go out, you get a good run in or a good bike ride in, or you go do a lot of stamina work in the gym. You know, you could do, you can do 20, 25 reps of a lighter weight in bench press or squats or something like that. And you blow your legs out stamina wise, you know, strength wise, you didn't gain a lot of strength. You gained a lot of tone and a lot of stamina to keep repeating that exercise. And that's good. That's needed for a lot of sports. But then you got to go, to, you know, you got to show up the next day to practice. Well, how do you recover? Well, you have several different options. The most efficient way, if you just did like a lower body workout and there's no chance your upper body fatigued at all, then go do an ice bath, lower body ice bath. You get in the tub of water, uh, you know, you could do it in a bathing suit, take off your clothes, whatever. If it's in your bathtub, that's fine. Take your little bucket of ice, fill that bathtub up to about waist high with cold water. You'll get used to the cold water as it's coming in. That's a good thing. You need that because otherwise you ain't going to get in there. Um, and then after a few, uh, you know, about a minute or two of just swishing that cold water around and you're used to it, pull that ice, that bucket of ice in there and throw it around in there and that temperature is going to go down fast. Well, you're icing everything from your toes all the way up to your waist, knees, thighs, hamstrings, hips, um, back, low back. You can raise it up, you know, get that water up high enough. You don't have to, you know, sink down and put your back down in it if you don't want to. Good idea if you did, but if you didn't want to, then you could ice down your whole entire lower body in literally five minutes, or you can get you two or three or four ice packs like I got. I recommend the Kramer Blue Ice Packs. They're reusable. They're very durable. Um, get you about six of them bad boys. You can line them up on the uh, one or two on your quad above the knee, one down below, right on the bottom, on the lower part of your kneecap. Do that for about five minutes on both legs. You can flip over on your stomach. Then you can do your hamstrings in the back of your uh, your knee and the top of your calf. And then after about that five or six, seven, eight minutes, you could go down and do the top and front of your ankles and your feet and then flip over and do your um uh, your Achilles tendon and the bottom of your feet. You know, that takes like 15, 20 minutes. And you got to keep getting the ice packs cold again by putting them back in the freezer. Or you could spend that five, six, seven minutes in an ice bath and be done. So if you want efficient, there you go. That's why the pros do ice baths when they finish like tennis matches. Oh my God. They can't wait to get off the court to go jump in that ice bath. They hate it but they know it works. It is the creme de la creme for recovery. You know, they're drinking all the time. They're drinking nutrient stuff all the time. They got to have something to get those muscles and joints deflamed. They inflame. The more you use them, they want to deflame them. Get that hot, hot nature out of them. Fastest way to do it, ice them. I mean, just, it's immediate. So I know why amateurs can't do it. Because it's cold. I know you're laughing. I know you're... <laughs> I know you're laughing. But it ain't a funny matter. You know, it's, it's your body. God gave you up one. For some of us, we get bad you know, knees or bad hips or bad this or that. And we have to get those tweaked from time to time. Or upkeep is a little harder and things like that. Work around them and things like that. For some of us, we get some good parts. And then we abuse them by not taking care of them. And then all of a sudden you have tendonitis. So I see people with 
tennis elbow. Oh, it just it just happened last week. And I look at him and I go, no, it didn't. It happened six weeks ago. And then it's just now gotten to the point where you can't write with a pencil. So then they, you know, your, your exit to get out of that tendonitis is ice it three, four times a day for the next six weeks. Yeah, we know how much they want to do that. They hadn't done, they didn't do that to start with. That's why they are where they are. So take care of your body. God gave you one. The replacement parts are expensive and they don't always work as they're supposed to. I've seen a lot of botched up surgeries and things like that. Don't want to scare you out of getting a surgery if it's a painful thing before. You got to take a, you know, take your chances when you can. But, um, you know, sports-specific training, one more end of our fitness thing. Um, you know, if you're going to do like for tennis, which is what I uh, train a lot for, I do a lot of cycling. I do a lot of hill climbing because that quick get-up-and-go burst of energy, like pushing off for a serve, like the first step after a split step in the middle of the court, somebody hits a good forehand, I got to get there. And that ain't going to be no, well, I'll get there when I can. It's either you're there or you're not. And that that uh, strength that it takes to push off over and over is doesn't happen quick. Like uh, my boy Lance Armstrong said one time, you gain conditioning four times slower than you lose it. In other words, if I flip that around and make a little more sense, if it takes you a week to gain a little bit of strength in any area, if you shut down for four days, you literally have wasted that week or thereabouts. So most of the battle that you face as an athlete, some days it's not gaining, it's just not losing because you lose four times faster than you gain it. So don't lose and you're actually winning the battle. So. That's my take on the fitness end of this. Last but not least, let's see if I can, there we go. Little pickleball segment there. Pickleball was, uh, we started at the, uh, the YMCA where I'm right around the corner from here about three and a half years ago. Uh, really enjoy it. Uh, I play occasionally, uh, don't like to take up my members' time on the court. I want them to play more than anything. Uh, I enjoy watching them play, too. It is kind of fun. But uh, first thing uh, I want to get into with pickleball is how to get into the sport. I mean, I know it's growing leaps and bounds. Part of that is that a lot of baby boomers who grew up with the tennis industry back in the late 60s and 70s, all through the 70s and early 80s, the tennis boom, they grew up with that. Well, now they're all in the baby boomers and they're up in their whatever, 60s and 70s. And the mobility is a little bit decreased. They still like to swing the paddle or racket, um, but they like to sometimes pick a ball done indoors. And that's, that's a good thing. Uh, it's better than playing indoor tennis. That's a pretty expensive and it's a bigger area too. So, I tell all the people that come into the Y that tennis is similar to pickleball, it's similar to badminton, similar to a lot of, of um, you know, racket sports, but it is different. And it will take you 
you know, some time. I tell people anywhere between six and 12 hours of playing to adjust yourself to where you need to stand in the court strategy-wise and also in relation to the ball you're hitting because of A, the paddle is shorter, because B, the ball bounces less than a tennis ball does, and C, the paddle does not rebound the ball like a tennis racket does because it doesn't have strings. So because of those three factors, you know, I tell people right off the bat, don't be in a hurry to run after a ball just because you think you can get it. It ain't going to bounce as high as you think. And then you're going to be halfway to it and that ball is not going to bounce and you're going to put a little lean over there to get it. And all of a sudden you're going to be nose diving on the floor. Don't do it. Wait about a week or two and then you can assess you know, your movement, how you're feeling, does the you know do your shoes grip on the surface well? If not, then expect to start a little slower, stop a little slower, or skid. Um, and then the bounce of the ball and the lack of reach of the paddle all play a factor that I want you to get used to before you take a nosedive. And that keeps the baby boomers a lot safer. I've seen too many baby boomers or older people you know, fracture a wrist because they fell backwards. Uh, pickleball in relationship to going backwards for a ball is no different than tennis or a lot of other sports. You don't go backwards for a ball facing where the ball came from. You turn sideways or you turn all the way around and run backwards. And if you can't control what you're doing, being realistically with yourself, then you let the point go and go to the next point. And that's my take on how to get into pickleball. From there, learn, you know, if you got the courts open that you can hit some on to get used to that, that helps. Absolutely. The situation we have, we generally are playing on all three of our courts. We don't have time to introduce people per se, let them hit a few and things like that. We don't have that time. We try to get them playing and tell them to take it easy in the beginning and get used to it. And that usually works out pretty good. Um... From there, the biggest question I get <laughs> is, I want to go buy myself a paddle. How do I, what do I need to do to get a paddle? Well, it's pretty simple. And I you know, use a lot of my knowledge from the tennis industry, but I know pickleball is not a tennis racket. I, I get that. But even with a tennis racket, you're going to go, you know, there are a lot of factors that the tennis racket makes a tennis racket different than a pickleball paddle. Um, I am not that advanced knowledge on pickleball paddles and their honeycomb designs. Is it aluminum or is it graphite or is it uh, carbon fiber? All that. I don't, don't, don't try to tell me all that. I just hit with a paddle and give me about 20 hits and I'll be fine. I'll make it work. Um, can a paddle make some difference in a high-level player? Yeah, I cannot deny it won't. It's the same with a tennis racket. You can get up to a certain level in tennis. Excuse me, I've got to sneeze. You can get up to a certain level in tennis, and you know, racket is only going to do so much for you. Strings help. Uh, the tension you put on it, well, the pickleball paddle ain't no tension. So 
first and foremost, what I think you should do, uh, I have we have four paddles at the place where I people come in and play. They can use all the time. Um, those paddles I weighed for them. They're seven ounces. And I tell people, hit with these paddles. If they feel good to you, play with them. If not, I got it. That's no problem. You know, if you want to get an ounce heavier, I don't think it's going to matter that much because in tennis, the racket is 27 inches long. In pickleball, the paddle is right there, in your, literally in your hand, or just outside your hand of the grip. So it's not like you're going to be able to balance it head heavy or head light. It's all right there. So an 8-ounce paddle over a 7-ounce paddle is going to be a little different over time. Yes, it could, a little more mass does make the ball go faster. I get it. I do. But. I don't think it's going to hurt that much. Now, once you establish, if you like that seven ounce paddle, you play with it for three, four, five hours in a row or a couple hours on Monday, a couple hours on Wednesday, a couple hours on Friday, your arm feels fine. You demoed it very well, and that's good. From there, go online. Or if you got somebody locally that you want to support, uh, go to their store, look at the pickleball paddles, and it's going to come down to you're going to laugh. Color. Let's see. You're going to tell you something that everybody knows. If it's a, a lady buying a pickleball paddle, you know it's going to match some of the outfits or the bag she carries or her car. And you know what? No problem. Not a problem. If it's a guy, it may be the same thing. I might like a black bag and I may want a black racket with the word bam right in the middle. Seven ounce paddle, boom, let's get it. Now, fit my budget. If it don't fit my budget, I may have to give up some color and get a basic paddle for a lot less or whatever, but that's okay. Set your parameters. Go search. A lot of these stores around town will price match. Go in, price, have them price match. Not a problem. Uh, you know, see what they say. Let me uh, go to a commercial, and uh, we will be back in just a minute. If you're looking for ways to help Bike Friendly Atlanta's cause, you can use your Kroger Rewards Plus card. Go to the Community Rewards online and choose Bike Friendly ATL. You can also use smile.amazon.com every time you order through Amazon, and a small portion of all your grocery and online purchases will come back to Bike Friendly Atlanta, where 100% of your donations goes to the cause. You can also go straight to Bike Friendly ATL, Inc. on Facebook and BikeFriendlyATL.org and click on the donation, button, donation buttons and proceed from there. We appreciate your interest and donations and hope to get our streets safer in our fallen friend's honor very soon. Welcome back. Uh, a few things I wanted to uh, clear up there. Not clear up, but also add in uh, the intro. Some shout outs really quick. Uh, the intro and exit music uh, that you hear is by Mrs. Morgan Rowe and the Morgan Rowe Band. Uh, good, good friend of mine, been a supporter of Bike Friendly Atlanta for probably since the outset of you know, getting this thing started, uh, always been supportive, uh, and always the 65 plus, uh, sadly, I hate to say the word plus, but the 65 families of Bike Friendly Atlanta, um, uh, 
they, I hope they know how important they are to me. Uh, I don't always uh, say things like people want me to. I don't always say the things that people want me to. Um, but in my heart, I know that we as human beings are not doing a good enough job driving, cycling, walking, using scooters, things like that. Uh, it is nobody's fault but our own. It is everybody's fault. And we need to own up to it and start with the man or the girl or the boy or the it in the mirror and make yourself better and then start holding everybody else accountable. And anybody that doesn't want to be held accountable, I have no problem with you but you need to leave. That's right. If you don't want to abide by the laws that we have, are they always fair? No. Are they always uh, non-racial, non-ethnic, non-economic, you know, minded? No. But it is our system. But right now, our system, as it sits, the laws are actually if you look, are not that bad. Case in point, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and trying to wrap this up. Um, I said, okay, let's take, for instance, you got a four lane, you got, you got four lanes in a road going both ways, two going east, two going west, and a turn lane in the middle. And there's a red light. We all come up to that red light, and you got, let's say, we got a left turn arrow. Um, and then, you know, once that main traffic of the left turn arrows clears, then you have a, uh, you know, I guess a green arrow. And so you can still turn left, but you're kind of on a caution. You know, you kind of got to watch out for oncoming traffic. Well, people come up to those green turn lanes after the arrow's gone, and they get in it. And if we're lucky, they pull out in the middle of the intersection so that when the light turns yellow, if you don't get a chance to go before it turns yellow while it's green, then when it starts turning yellow and the traffic from the other way starts to stop, you can go ahead and go through that, that intersection and get out of the way. That's one more car or two, if you really are on your P's and Q's, two cars that can get out of that turn lane and keep it clear for the next batch of cars that come along. Otherwise, over the course of an hour of real busy traffic, that turn lane gets bogged down because nobody wants to go on anything but a green arrow. Bad driving. But anyway, you come up to that turn lane. You're in the turn lane. It's a green light, not a green arrow. The green arrow's already gone, and I'm in the green light in the turn lane, and there's a car coming at me, and that car is going to make a right-hand turn going down the same street I am onto a two lanes going away from our intersection and our drivers can't simultaneously make that turn. The car where I'm sitting, the left turn lane, should turn into the left lane. And the car coming at me, who has a right blinker on, should have anyway, should turn into the right lane. So we both can simultaneously make that turn and get traffic on down the road. But as it sits, we have drivers, I see, I'll guarantee you it's got to be 70% of drivers 
can't make that turn without state without going into the far lane, which impedes traffic from flowing. That is just a tip of the iceberg of the problems we have to solve as drivers and owning up to driving better. If we do that, everything flows better. You get A to B efficiently better because it's smoother. You're not jerky, jerky, running around somebody that's going slow. Well, guess what? That red light up ahead ain't going to let you get there no faster. So that's my take on how we start getting our streets safer. Uh, I will, in future podcasts, maybe in about a week or 10 days, try to do about two or three of these a month. Uh, we'll touch on some more of our um, illustrious driving habits that over the course of time being about, it could be as many as 30 or 40 years, have just dwindled to literally we're expecting people to drive like idiots. And if you get in an accident, you couldn't believe that you're going to get a ticket for improper turn or something and somebody else is going to get it for running a red light. Well, you both got a ticket, so you both are kind of wrong, but... You know, if you drove correctly, you wouldn't. Anyway, let me uh, get off this little quick commercial and come right back to end it up, wrap it up. Show our fallen friends how much you care. Please use our trending hashtag, N-F-O-F-F. That stands for Never Forget Our Fallen Friends. Let's make this trend and go worldwide. Don't forget, if you've got any questions about bikes, burpees, or fitness, and backhands or tennis, you can always email me at bikesburpeesbackhands at gmail.com and I'll be glad to give you a shout out and answer your question on our next podcast. Have a great day. Welcome back. We're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, I think it's been a pretty good little first podcast for Bike Friendly ATL, uh, tennis, pickleball, and a little bit of fitness in there. Uh, if you have, like I said, like the promo said, if you've got any questions, uh, if you want to see this a little more informative, send me some emails. Uh, you, I've got three or four emails you can get me at. I don't mind you going on any of them. The bikes, burpees, and backhand bikes, burpees, backhands. No commas or ands in there. Or anything. Just straight up three words. Uh, at gmail.com is the quickest way to get me. Uh, one last hashtag. Uh, hashtag Jamie, J-A-Y-M-E-J-E-W, Jamie Jew, in honor of one of our fallen young friends, uh, family. Uh, I always try to remember them uh, along with our N-F-O-F-F, never, never forget our fallen friends, bike-friendly hashtag. We will uh, get our roads safer. It may not be a fast solution, but we can all do it with starting with the person in the mirror. Hope all y'all had a good time. If you've got any questions or comments, please email me. Uh, my name is David Matthews. And until next time, y'all be safe out there and treat each other like a human being. And that would be a great thing. Take care, y'all.